You're listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick. I'm Hamish and I'm Scott. And today we've got uh, Sarah Barnes. Sarah is a very special guest. Can you introduce yourself in terms of the business you're working in and your role here? All right. Hi, everyone. Um, so I'm Sarah from Transition Level Investments which is the family office for Steve Baxter, who most people know from Shark Tank Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, So we invest in early stage technology companies here. Unfortunately, it's not a visual medium, so you can't see behind (laughs) you all the logos on the wall. That's that's the portfolio of companies that we've um, backed. Uh, My job here is I look after all the marketing and community for transition level investments and also for Steve. And yeah, that keeps us busy. Right, (laughs) it's magic. Uh, What we were just talking about before is uh, the reason we wanted to talk to you, Sarah, is because uh, with our audience, often they're inventors, they've got a good idea, they might start working with someone like Scott to design something. But in terms of how you deal with uh, early stage entrepreneurs, what we really want to find out from you is uh, what do you look for? Like what constitutes a company or an idea that is worthy of investment? And I know that is going to put you on the spot, but you could almost give us some maybe uh, case studies or, you know, what sort of criteria do you use to, to judge products which yeah. are going to make money? Or no, you think for is sure. Every professional investor, whether it's a VC, or a family office, they've all got a different mandate on the type of companies that they want to invest in. Mm-hmm. Um, some offices will be drawn to, at the moment, looking at renewables. Yep. Um, others might be more interested in medtech or edtech, mm-hmm. or some might be more interested in retail type products. Here at Transition Level Investments, though, we're much more interested in early stage technology companies who are taking on really big problems so if you are in a business and you're looking to raise capital to help you one of the first things i would suggest is really have a think about what type of investors you need to seek out Mm -hmm. and do a bit of research on what sort of things they invest in or have invested in the past because it's almost a bit of a marketing exercise when you're going out to seek funding and you need to know your market which in this case is investors so know what it is that they're looking for and whether you're a good fit for them. Right. That's sure. half the problem at the start. So better wheelbarrows is not what you do here. <laughs> no, <laughs> tend not to. Although in saying that, if you look at... Shark, so Shark Tank ran mm. in Australia, it's run in America, and then they have Dragon's Den in the UK. If you look at Shark Tank in America, the most, uh, the best-selling product that they've ever had over there, do you know what it is? No. It's a sponge. Is that <laughs> oh, is it really? Wow. It's a sponge and it's called Scrub Daddy. Yeah. <laughs> it's a yellow you name that sponge. One? <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> and I think it's turned over in sales about 500 million or something wow. ridiculous. Yeah, okay. And it's like if you've got kids, you'll know the magic sponges yep. that we have mm-hmm. here, those mm-hmm. white little blocks that you yep. use to get the pens yep. off. Yeah, awesome. It's similar to that. Yeah, right. So there you go. Right. Products. Excellent, work. excellent. All right, can, would you be able to just explain? You said before, Sarah, your previous role was in private equity, and now this is what you would call venture capital, yes? Yes. Can you explain the differences with the different levels of funding? People have heard of things like angel investors, and you've got venture capital. 
uh, crowdfunding. What are the what are the critical differences? What is just for our audience' sake, just so they learn about these different the different terminology? If you like. Okay, so we I'll talk about like the funding sort of life cycle yes. that you go through. So you might have started out on your journey and you've got an idea. So the first thing that you tend to go to when you need capital is what we call the friends, family and fools round. <laughs> You've heard that term yeah, before? Sure. The three Fs. <laughs> I think I'm the biggest fool of a lot of those. That's my own project. You need to have fools because somebody's got to back the dreamers. Otherwise, these ideas just never get off the ground. Yeah. So you pay an important role. <laughs> Even though there might be a bigger failure rate at that end, yeah. It's you just you need capital to get these things off the ground. Unless, of course, you're the very fortunate few who are bootstrapping which is fewer and fewer people now so mm. um I, I think part of the the family friends and fools is angel investors kind of fall into that category as well some of them will back ideas but most people will back products mm. or tech or something that's actually got traction so whether that's free subscribers or um, sign-ups to your newsletter or something like that that's what people want to see where we tend to come in is a little bit later stage than that so we would invest after you've had the idea and you've proven some form of traction and, and that's is this prototype level or make uh, or sales traction uh, is it tech tra- tech traction that you proved the principle or are you selling the product and people a, like it it's a really good question and again it depends on seeing the potential can be half the battle it mm-hmm. is because the it, dream in someone's head might have been there for 10 years and absolutely like, what, what is the dream i don't get it. it it's this is where it's a really tricky point because we touch on in here now about product market fit we've seen loads of really great products or tech or apps or websites or things like that come through the door but what they've failed to do is actually solve a problem that exists out there they've gone and created a really whiz bang product fantastic but they can't sell it because it doesn't fill a problem Mm. that a consumer has so no one's going to buy it you can have the greatest product in the world but if no one's going to buy it you don't have a business that's investable so you can make that judgment here obviously you've seen so many (laughs) because because that is a a real skill i mean you know i see projects and i go yeah i can see how i can solve this technically but is the market going to want it and I've actually advised people before not to do their project, and they've been incredibly successful. The stiletto's heel cover. I and remember I think you were that one. When you did, yeah. When the officers when we did that one, that was incredibly successful. And I, I sort of thought, oh, was it, is it, there was existing product out there wasn't going that well, and we redesigned it so it had a different paint mm. about it, so it was paintable and protectable, looked a lot better, and it functioned a lot better. And I just figured that it was going to be really hard to get off the ground, but they were such good marketers mm. that they sold a hell of a lot of those things, and mm. they still sell them. So it's a really hard call to make, and I and I always felt guilty about advising <laughs> against it. it. it and is, I, got, I got taught. It is a hard not to yeah not it's to a, judge because the market's going to judge. It's a very hard, and that's exactly right. Is at the end of the day, it's the market that judges whether or not you have a good product, yeah. not investors or anyone else. And every investor will have that one that got away that they turned down and ended yeah. up becoming a unicorn and you didn't mm. invest I mean, you in do, you do due diligence. You can find the size of the market to start with. If it's very niche and it's cheap and it's got no mark, mark you, can, you can do the figures based on what the possible chances of it coming out. I guess that's the first step. But then 
Yeah. Um, the next is a bit gut, isn't it? Gut feeling. It is. So we say here that picking winners is part science, part art. And we do have a really robust due diligence process that we go through. There's an enormous amount of factors yeah. that we look at from every exactly what you've talked about, the size of the market that they're going after, who are the competitors, um, what is the traction that they've shown so far. We look at the founders. That's a really big factor for looking and examining a company. So another piece of advice that I would have for founders is think about how you're marketing yourself as well. Yeah. If you're going to be going to investors in the future, it doesn't hurt to start building your profile really early. Always begin everything that you're doing with your product or your venture with the end in mind. And if you know that you're going to need capital at some stage, start working on it as early as you can. So that includes building up your network, going to events, meeting people, meeting potential angels or people who can introduce you to venture capital firms and things like Mm. that. Mm. It's really important to invest in those things. Yeah. yeah. So founders are one of the things that we look at in due diligence. Not only investing in the technology, you're investing in the people running the business as well. Definitely. Very personal. Huge. Yeah. huge. So, so to what extent are you saying that founders, uh, entrepreneurs, should be looking at their own personal brand is what, what I'm hearing here. So build up their own profile. Yeah. So branding in startups is really interesting because mm-hmm. I see most companies in our ecosystem tend to fall in one of two categories. Either they are under-marketing themselves because they're so focused on building their product or building traction or all the other millions of things that you have to do when you're a founder. And then all of a sudden they come to wanting to raise capital and they suddenly want to get a piece in the financial review or the Australian, but they haven't really done Mm. any promotional work or anything up to that point. And so it's really hard to go from zero to a hundred when you really need it. So they've kind of underinvested in their marketing. The other side is where I see people who've, who've over fluffed and invested in their marketing and there's a lot of fluff there, but not a lot of substance in what they're actually building. Yep. So you've got to really find the balance. If at some stage you're going to be wanting to invest or want to attract investment is yeah you have to have your name out there right start building your profile early yeah that's yeah i might sneak back a little bit we talked about before like finding the right investor for your product and you were talking about what that investors known for investing in but also i guess there's also the aspect of what type of investor obviously i've read the read the website and and um, it's actually as we talked about before it's it's quite refreshing to read it because it's actually all about hand-holding in this company so um, transition level investment seems to be the sort of company that gets involved over a 10-year period really works that company up as a hand-holding process as well as investment whereas other other investors I've seen are very silent and they'll just sit there chuck money in and expect a certain return and then want to get out Mm. it's all about the turnover Um, I guess you got to also with a lot of startups that are fresh and just disruptive, which a lot of the stuff we do is disruptive. There's a lot of educational, there is a long-term process to making this thing really work, especially on an international scale, which we aim at. Um, you know, it seems to me you also have to choose the right investor in that respect, because if you get in with someone who's just gonna build you up and then throw you out with the bathwater, you, you see people ending there that had a big chunk of money put into it, big chunk of marketing, they've been built up, the investor gets out and they're standing there not knowing where to go from that and they fall. Yeah. Because they're just left holding the bathwater. Um, 
So yeah, I guess that's another really important factor, trying to find the right um, investor from that respect. Definitely, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's a two-way relationship with investment. Some people are happy to take money from silent partners, it's, or silent investors, I should say. Um, but you've got to think that it's like an investor is taking capital or taking, you're taking ownership in part off the founder. Because it's got to go somewhere. That's what investment is. And a lot of founders don't have business acumen. No. <laughs> and if any if any project's going to fail, in my area, it's generally the inventor trying to run the company. Yeah. Where the problem comes about, not necessarily the tech. Yeah. You can usually solve that fairly well. Mm. And hit the market needs, but then you hand it back to the inventor. Yeah. And it just overwhelms them. I mean. As, as you know very well, you've been very hands-on in business and you've had your own businesses, you've actually acquired investors, you've done all the things that you're sort of helping people do now. Mm. You know the, the traumas involved with running a business, it is difficult and it takes a lot of gumption and energy. And uh, a lot of people aren't prepared for that, unfortunately. As an inventor, they have an idea, we solve it for them, they go back out in the big bad world and get chewed up. So yes. having someone holding your hand and mentoring you is an incredibly important part of the investment process, not necessarily just financial. Mm. It sounds to me like you guys are in that field, which is good. Yeah, we're definitely, we're very hands-on. I mean, one of the things with Steve is that he's been such a, he's been instrumental to the startup community in Australia and Brisbane. He started River City Labs, which was mm. sold last year to ACS. And so you can imagine he has quite a Rolodex, if anyone knows what the Rolodex yeah. <laughs> called. Black book. Remember, flipping through your contacts? <laughs> Yeah, and massively networked, and that's oh, really you know, as an inventor comes off the you know maybe come off the farm or whatever, they don't have any contacts. Yeah, and he, that's incredibly important. And so that's part of if you're taking money from uh, transition level investments or we're coming on board with you, part of the benefit is that is yeah. you're going to benefit from that is a huge our network, benefit, yeah. and it's enormous yeah. for getting customers. We can introduce you to VC in America who are funding big time startups who are really taking off yeah it's um yeah so you do have to look at what the investors are bringing to the table and so we've got a team here we've got a whole team there's eight people in the team it includes uh, we've got in-house legal we've got margot who is our financial controller we do have a lot of people in the team that um the startups that we invest in can leverage as well so we're there to make sure that when they're raising funds all their corporate documentation is all, you know, written out in the best possible way mm. to protect their rights, perhaps, yeah. if they're owners, and well. to protect yeah. investors' rights. So everyone's kind of working together to get a good outcome. Yeah. So, Legally, yeah. we, we see a lot of trouble, troubles happen when shareholders' agreements aren't bulletproof. You know, the first thing I do with a partnership there, you've got to write a shareholders' agreement out for the worst-case scenarios. and. If it all falls apart and, you know, yeah. sometimes it, you get conflict and you have to just refer back to it. You have to know what people are after. It's a outcomes. very common area in due diligence where companies fall over is that they've come to us, they're ready to raise and they fall over because they don't have the right terms in their shareholder agreement or they haven't assigned IP correctly. Yeah. Things like that, which when you're just getting going and you're excited about your idea and it's all shiny new things yeah mm. you probably don't put a lot of thought into but down the track these are the things That's that crucial. really matter yeah yeah 
and um, yeah, it's all right. Well, get on top let's, of. Get, let's get into the nitty gritty of it um, because we're we're sort of speaking on behalf of our audience. So <laughs> I'm going to put myself in the shoes of a of an inventor coming to you. Obviously, it seems to me like transition level investments is a really good spot place to come to to pitch because it seems to me as a startup with disruptive technology which is generally our area um, what are you looking for in your pitches from these people and what sort of due diligence that or what sort of um, corporate governance they need to put in place before they even decide to pitch to you that's a great question <laughs> it's a really <laughs> good question uh, so what do we look for in pitches well we like to see pitches from companies who are going after a really big problem um, one thing that we see is a lot of companies come to us and they're trying to solve a really niche, interesting, but small potential market problem, which, although it might be a great cause or passion, at the end of the day, you're just not going to get that numbers when you scale up that an investor bringing in capital needs to see to get the return on their money. Yeah. So, And just to qualify that, we some niche products are very expensive and they work. We had a mining product, which was... You know, quite an expensive product. The the profit on that product was enormous. Hmm. So there's only a hundred thousand possible players in the field, but it made sense financially because of that. So there is there is a little bit of leeway there. Probably if you, it's still a big problem, but it's a very small area. But the profit margins were enormous because yeah, um, that was just a field that was in mining. That was that's so really common with mining as well. Like yeah, we mine. see a lot of. Uh, one of the things that we see with the mining industry in particular, I mean, it's Australia, of course, we're going yeah. to have quite a lot of startups in resources space. One thing that we see with mining, though, is that the length of the sales cycle is really long and is so network-based yeah. in mining. So, so, so in the end, it comes down to, is it a profitable project rather than a size? Because the sink is on the other side of it, my project. It's high volume, low profit. And that's, a, that's also very difficult to work. You know, a lot of people want it, but yeah. you've got to try and pop, get the market share which, or market penetration, which is also a difficult opposition. So I guess you just you just put that into the mix and you'd find, it, find a, a balance there that works for you guys. But in yeah. the end, it sounds like it has to be profitable, and that's, that's all it comes down to, which is uh, probably, it's, probably hopefully when I'm starting a project or handing it over to you guys, <laughs> we've looked at that a little bit to start with. I don't usually take on something that I think is going to not work. Yeah, it, look, it's... It's difficult because we don't we don't back ideas no. as such. We always back post idea. Although there is an exception, we have backed one of the startups in our portfolio. Did come to Steve with a great idea. He was a very bright guy, and um, he knew Steve and had that relationship. But we in that case we invested in the founder because he Steve obviously had that conviction in him and yeah. what he came to him with mm. is. So there is no formula or algorithm, yeah, that okay, I, okay. and I'm a real data person, so yeah. there isn't a strict formula on what will or will not yeah. attract investments. There's actually thousands of things that we look at, and I can rattle off, look, these are all, you know, you've got to have a really big market, and you've got to have this type of product, but then looking at our portfolio, I can see there are exceptions. Yeah. And so what you, does... You can, you're probably better positioned than anyone to sort of judge if it's profitable or not, if it's a viable business. It's, I mean, but it doesn't necessarily, it's not so much the focus on profit. Yeah. We need to see the opportunity there. Yeah. Yeah. So you could come to us and you might not be at break-even point, mm. but you could be address. I know everyone throws the saying out, you could be the next Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we might see that. Or you could be the next Netflix, which 
as you, most people know. You get a gut feeling with the sort of stuff. I mean, all, this, all these projects you see, you'd get a gut feeling for what's going to work and what's not. I, I deal with projects. I look at it and go, this is this is going to be a really nice solution here. And and other ones, I just get this sort of really sick feeling in my guts. It's just not going to work. And so it's just experience. Yeah. Seeing as, seeing as many projects as you see, you must get a real gut feeling for what it, will work and what won't. Experience goes a long way. Yeah. I mean, Steve's been formally investing in other companies for seven years mm. and um, so with his team out here between everyone there is quite a lot of experience at looking at yeah. setup so that goes a really long way in yeah. picking winners mm. and are you looking for a video presentation I mean when we do pitching for technology we basically do, basically what we're trying to do is quick as quickly as possible get the idea across about what the problem is so first firstly we just isolate the problem we will spend time in the video isolating the problem this is the problem this is the, the pain point this is the sort of market size and this is the solution explain the solution and this is how you you go to the next step is that what you're looking for or you're looking for facts and figures uh, is it more a financial um, presentation or a technology description type so the best way to get in front of us is to be introduced by someone else right in our ecosystem that we know or in our network so that might mean that uh, you can send three pictures to us cold on yep. our website yep. we accept pictures if you go to transitionlevel.com <laughs> you can send your pitch through to us and that's usually in the form of a powerpoint presentation which has been pdf'd and yep. it would and we'll be put that on the website uh, uh, with this link so you People have that option. Oh, that'd be great because yep. that covers off. Uh, and we do look at every single pitch that comes through to us. And we you, do open them. They do yeah. get checked by the investments team. In that situation, that's a video format, or is that? Uh, it's usually PDF right um, slides. You would send through in your first pitch between ten to fifteen slides, yep. and that would cover off. Um, you know who you are, what problem you're solving, um, what traction you've achieved to date. Yeah. Um, a breakdown of forecasts say don't go any further than 12 months because it's pretty ridiculous if you're a startup to see there's no crystal ball we know that but we like to see where you're heading um, the founding team is really important so have your credentials up there and a scan of the market so tell us the story of what the opportunity is out there mm -hmm. if yeah. you can get that across in 10 to 15 slides then you're well That's on your way yeah it's a magic number yeah it's, um, but the best way to get in front of us, honestly, is by having an introduction. So perhaps you've met a founder from another company that we've invested in. They know that you're working on something great. And so they'll say, hey, you yeah, should meet right. with Scott. He's working on something fantastic. <laughs> and we'll go, okay, and now we, now we come have a on connection. in. <laughs> that's right. You're knocking on your door. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's generally how it goes. Perfect. Yeah, that's yeah. great. It's fantastic. Um, well, we should probably um, not. Well, no, no. I was just going to say. I just probably got a question um, on the marketing I, 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 Well, I do. It, it, it's more of a point of interest. But what is your definition? I mean, the word that gets thrown around, especially in this sort of space, is disruption. But I think it's overused. What is your definition? Like, what is truly a disruptive product? Because you hear about people saying, "Oh, I've got this disruptive idea. I've got this disruptive piece of technology. I've got this disruptive I idea." But what what yeah. truly is disruptive? It is one of those terms, isn't it, that's just thrown around. It is. And it's I think just, it's overused. It's, it's completely lost its meaning now. It has. <laughs> so what is disruptive? Well, I think disruptive is doing anything that's non-traditional. So you can disrupt a business model. You can disrupt the way that you charge customers. 
by your payment model. You can disrupt the market itself and completely turn it on its head. Mm. It's basically just finding a whole new way of doing things. Mm. It's, yeah, I see disruption on so many levels working in VC world. One of the ways that I see it as well is um, the skills that people will need going into the future. I see a big, like I'm a parent of a kid, one child that's going into high school, so it's very top in my mind about when you leave school, what are you going to need to succeed in the world that it is today, and it's changing so fast. It's one of the things that we see with all the pictures coming through. It's just going to shape the future of the labour market completely. I know that's completely off topic, but no, no, something that just yes. sticks out. It's Incredibly huge. important for new technology. Yeah. yeah, so that's probably yeah, what I think is going to be one of the biggest disruptions going forward is this is the disruption long term to the to the labour market and mm. what that looks like. So yeah. the food market is another one that's going to need some really big changes in the future with the massive big third world countries all wanting food. I mean, China just bought out our milk industry yeah. this morning As, so. and the, uh, there's lots of VC C firms not necessarily transition level investments but there's lots of VC firms out there at the moment who are investing in meat alternatives that's really topical at the moment yeah, yeah. so yeah, yeah. it's going to be a big one yeah oh, I've got a couple of um, just put it, I've, I've missed them here but um, launch methods for tech startups I mean you must see diff- you must have different plans for different products um, but launching is a really important aspect of starting especially a disruptive technology because you can launch it through brick and mortar and have no marketing presence at all and it just sits on the shelf and gets turfed out it can be an incredibly expensive way of going bust uh, when there's a big recall around the world Um, and then there's also a lot of options nowadays with with, uh, internet sales and things through Amazon which make it very easy to launch a product and self-promote in a way because there's a captive uh, marketing audience. Mm. Um, do you have a preference for tech stuff as far as launches, or every every project's different? Every product would be totally different. Depends yeah, if it's B two B or B two C, or uh, everyone would be completely different. So the model, I think, are you familiar with the Lean Startup book that came out? Well, it came out a few years ago. It's a really good book. I'll okay. Put, I'll send I'll you the link it. for that. I'll, I'll look at. Yeah. Um, the whole premise of that is that when you become a startup and you're trying to get your product up and going you want to be as agile and able to change things around as quickly as possible to respond to the market so if you try something in your launch and it's not working you want to be testing everything you want to be measuring everything and you want to be able to turn on its head quickly and then try something new and repeat test review refine and keep going and that's really good advice because that's well, it's almost like the 80 20 rule isn't it where if you when you're 80 percent ready go and then worry about the other 20 percent as you're absolutely along. i see so many people i get so many messages through steve's social media and things like that from people saying i have a great idea for a product and it's going to change the world in xyz <laughs> i just need to sit down with you for an hour and <laughs> that's I think, all that's all it takes isn't it i think really <laughs> you, you don't you can <laughs> You know, you've got to have the courage to go out there and get it started and mm. just start, <laughs> really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if it doesn't work, go back to the drawing board, look at it, revise it, go out again. And uh, that's, a, just that's a really good going. marketing. <laughs> so what you're saying is sure. ideas are cheap, <laughs> in a sense. <laughs> we've, got, we've got a really good company right now. They've got, they've got two fat 
<laughs> as far as staff, and they can't shift, and it's almost killing the company. They have to really they're going to, into into uh, you know obviously um, damage mode at the moment, and it's a shame because it's. You, oh, you've got to start leaning, and, and, and yeah. everything we do is sort of stage this, 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 and we can build, but you have to start somewhere, and it has to be as small as you can afford to do. Mm. Yeah, um, I think you know, getting, yeah. getting getting too fat too early can be really, really dangerous. Mm. Stay um, light and stay yeah, yeah, stay really as nimble as you can the, in the, the early in the early stages, and prove that traction. Yeah. like whether it is just, it can be engagement in talking marketing terms on your Facebook page or it can be that you've built advocates who are walking around in your t-shirts. It doesn't matter what it is. You need to prove that you've really hit that mark and nailed it with mm. the people that you're going after and they're falling in love with it. Yeah, That's what should keep you going rather than I've got a great product or I've got a great idea for a product. Yeah. They're two yeah. very different things. Mm. Mm. Um, and the other one, it's... Uh, square around here is um, what sort of strike strike rate have you, have you got and is do you have stats on that I mean because typically R&D based projects have got a low strike rate you know it's one in ten sort of thing um, obviously you know I see that all the time like 99.9% of inventions on, on the on the patent um, platform don't make any money because it's just ideas really that have been captured as a patent you can pretty much put anything down it's the proven ones but obviously as you go through um, people who education those who refine it back the strike rate gets much much better by the time it gets to you so it goes through me it's already been qualified mm. I've got it to work in prototype it's got a good chance of working I bring it to you it must have a higher strike rate through you know you seeing it and saying and re- requalifying it and then putting all your resources towards it um, is it still around the one in ten or is it is it better than that uh, so the further you get on in the fundraising cycle, the better the odds get. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I don't yes. like calling it odds because it sounds like it we're really, walking into a casino. It is, a, you know, but life is that. Even working for government jobs is a bit. Oh uh, yeah, that, that is so, true. You know, it's, that it's is true. It's um, so the failure rate is it's high for angel level or like the friends, family, and fools. That's why it's called that. So companies at that really early stage, the failure rate is high. Yeah. Um, once you to give you an idea of numbers to paint the picture on even the number of pitches that we get so we received last year over 600 pitches yep. from people early stage companies seeking investment from us of that 600 we met with say 200 and out of that 200 we did due diligence so they went through the process of are we are they diligent like are they um, robust enough that we're going to invest our money in them I think we would have gone through at least 50 to 70. Uh, out of those, we would have seriously looked at terms on about 10 and invested in maybe six. Wow. So that shows... One in 100. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, obviously it filters out the um, the ones that weren't going to make it. And as I say, we, we are very um, honest and truthful in our meetings. If, if we can see that a project can't work... I'm more than willing to just say it, and 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 I'll t- advise people not to take a project. Sometimes yeah. it bites me in the bum. Like obviously there was Stellados product, that was a hugely successful product, which I had advised not to go and do. And I don't advise not to do it. I just say here's the risks, here's the here's the pros and cons. Yeah. And the pros were low, and the cons were high. But through sheer tenacity and a great marketing uh, um, skill set, that company made it really work well. And we got a technical solution for them, and it was really good. But if they hadn't been good marketers, 
that would have failed. Mm. So it depends on the client as well. But Very much so. And tenacity it's, is also a massive thing. Oh, that's, that's one of the reasons why we look so closely at founders is that it is tough if yeah. you are in this to yeah. win it, basically. You need, as a founder, you need to be willing to give up 10 years of your life to this. Mm. And yeah. um, angels aren't going to come in and dump a load of cash on your desk to be paying you a massive, great big salary. So you really need to look at your own lifestyle and what you want for yourself over a decade. Yeah. And it's not, I, I know that there are founders amongst our portfolio where there's been nights that they've been sleeping on a warehouse floor and like these guys work seriously yeah, hard. It is, it is very it easy is to tough. underestimate what's involved when, you, when you're looking at the big picture. Yeah. Big, big shiny things as you said before. <clears throat> very, very tough. You've got to do um, a map forward what you're going to go through over 10 years and um, yeah, be careful what you wish for. Yes. Sometimes the licensing <laughs> deal can be much more appealing. That's exactly right. Yeah. It, yeah. It, can be yeah, so this conversation very early in the piece and just say what do you want out of it first of all yeah before we even just start designing for them because if, you're, if I'm designing for a licensing deal it's a different it's a far more elaborate product than it is if I'm designing for a startup who's got less money to start with mm. you know if I'm presenting to a, a multinational it's going to have all the bells and whistles on the product as a prototype level yeah whereas if I'm designing for a startup who's got limited um, tooling budget it's going to have as very little on it as possible solve the problem, get to market, and then we'll work on the bells and whistles. That's goes. right. Go you need to get to that proof point. Yes, you know, we've ticked these boxes. Okay, now we can move yep. on to the next part. Yeah. Um, if you're not getting to that box, then fail fast yep. and relook at what you're doing and pivot and all those things that you need to do <laughs> and go again. We generally ask the inventor to use family, fools and friends to get to prototype level so they've got something to, something to show. And I've had experience over the years where if you go in underbaked in that, in that level, it's very hard to sell it because you're selling to people who really have never seen it before. Mm. And if you go into the 3D printed product, it, it, it just doesn't work. They're looking at it, looking at it, you know, it looks the wrong colour, it's all rough. And, you know, so we go in with a really polished, final looking, manufactured looking product at, at prototype level. Um, but but we, we feel like that's the, the very least that we can come to you with as an investor to show that we've proven them proven the, um, the technical issues have solved the problem and here's the market ready idea Yeah. and it is market ready it's not just you know just solving the problem it goes to the next level this is what the market wants and this is how we've solved it mm. um, do, you, do you think that is a wise place to start to come to you or you think we could start earlier or um, again it really depends on what sort of problem you're solving like yeah. it's different if you're talking about a widget that sits on a mining piece of machinery it's very different to if you've developed um, an app that is consumer based and you've shown your friends and they love it so much that they've gone and told another hundred people yeah. about so comparing the two it's they're completely different yeah. cases yeah um, so you really got to look at each thing most of it is tech stuff, so we don't do apps and things we just do physical yeah. consumer or industrial products that uh, really need a, a widget yeah, <laughs> to absolutely. put in front of people. And we've, we've had projects go forward where many, many got rejected through pitches mm. simply because the prototype looked like, you know, the bomb. And it's expensive to do it, but it's it, it allows you to do videos, it allows you to do the presentation, prove it, test it, all these things that you can't do with a, with a very simple prototype. So yeah, that's I've, the philosophy I've stuck with and it, hopefully it works. I've seen some great product pitches 
like over the last couple of years. One that stands out in my mind like that is, um, I don't know the name of the company, but they built like an artificial wave pool, oh, which wow. you can surf mm-hmm. on. And it, the prototype of it has been built somewhere in the middle of Queensland. Oh it's God. so random. It's a seriously <laughs> big prototype. And so the end idea is it was going to be built into these big theme parks and mm. they're going to be rolled out around the world and you can surf on it like normally surf like a giant version of a wave pool so kelly slater's one i might be, there is a professional surf i don't know if it's kelly slater but oh. i know one of the professional surfers is in on it that's a huge prototype yeah yeah and i was listening to the pitch and i remember sitting there going wow this is so cool and then they did a sneaky shot over to the um prototype that they've built and it's like a scale of one thirtieth ah. of the actual size. <laughs> but the way they've shot the video, it really doesn't look, look like that. <laughs> it looks like the real deal. So I was wrapped up in the... That's part of the marketing, I guess, of selling the dream of what you're trying to get people on board with. I got yeah. so wrapped up I mean, up you, in are, you are. You have to do a certain amount of um, marketing at that point because you, mm. you're selling to people who've never seen the thing before. You've got to convince them. Oh, you do. Seconds or Raising capital is as much a marketing <laughs> and exercise. And it's very personal, you know. If someone's not into what you're doing, they're yeah. not going to invest in it. That's right. It's, so it, you don't get disheartened. Just no, somebody else as well. No, no. There's um, you'd be surprised how much if you've got a good solid business, you'd be surprised how much people are. We we're looking for opportunities, and of course, investors want a return. And yep. so, if you have something investable getting investment is not going to be that difficult so at the end of the day if you're struggling to get investment that's where you've got to look at well what are you pitching Mm. is it really going to deliver the return sometimes that's the hardest thing to take as a founder as well is getting the knockback and the knockback and the knockback and then having to look and go it's me yeah it's what i've got (laughs) yeah oh because you usually you've invented my baby's ugly And you've invested so much time and there's an emotional yeah. factor to it as well. Yep. It's, yeah. Yeah, cool. Oh, I found a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know all about them. You're a very energetic and uh, amazing uh, entrepreneur. We're really, really privileged to have you here and, uh, and on the podcast. So hopefully uh, our listeners are going to get a lot out oh, of this. Absolutely. No, it's been fa- it's absolutely fascinating. Thank you very much, Thank Sarah. Thank you, was, uh, Sarah. Thanks, Thanks so good. much for fantastic having me. Fantastic having you. Oh, all right. That's fantastic. Excellent. We'll put Thank links you. on the uh, or web, uh Hamish will put links on the uh, on the so podcast for all these. Yeah, so if you've got any pictures, uh, send them through and, to Sarah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I expect to website. get inundated now. Pictures. You've been listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick.